0: Well, uh, you were due to be hearing someone else speak today, but uh, they dropped out for, I don't know why, but they did, and uh, so the lot fell to me to do it today, and uh, I want to base what I have to say today around Psalm 33, and I guess the burden of my song in the end is going to be, I want to talk about hope in the end, and I'm going to ask you to do something as well, Um, so let's read Psalm 33 first of all. As we look at this, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true, He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, the earth is full of His unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of His heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From His dwelling place He watches all who live on earth, He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all his great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Amen. The other day, Joy, my wife, and I were, were out early evening, and we were on our way home when I suspected she was going to say something. Maybe you've had the experience of your... Husband or wife, I don't know, or someone you're very close to, and uh, I'm just going to move these out of the way a bit. Right, that's better. <clears throat> and uh, I thought, I know what Joy's going to say. I think I do anyway. She's going to say, "Shall we get some fish and chips on the way home?" <laughs> and before the almost before the thought had gone out of my head, she said, "Shall we get some fish and chips on the way home?" And I said to her, "Oh, you're quite predictable." Now, I wasn't quite sure how she took that, whether she, whether that was a good or bad thing. But, in, but as I began to think about it, I thought, actually, we all like predictability. This morning, I got in my car. I like my car to be predictable. Unfortunately, my car is unpredictable in that I turned the ignition and it didn't start this morning. And normally, I can coax it into life. I uh, did manage to coax into life again this morning and proceeded to drive off thinking I had plenty of time, only to realize that I had an absolutely flat tire and wasn't going anywhere fast. Predictability can be a very good thing. In fact, God has built predictability into the creation. We see it, for example, in the phases of the moon, we see it in the tides, we see it in night and day, we see it sunrise and sunset times. They're predictable. And it's against that backdrop of predictability that there's an amazing amount of creativity too. In the psalm, it talks about the witness of creation to God's nature. It tells us in verse 4 and 5 that He is faithful and loving. And we sang about that this morning. We heard about that. He is faithful in all He does. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Now, I think it was towards the latter part of last year... Neil said something that really struck me. He talked about disappointments, and he talked about being disappointed. I don't know whether he did that on a Sunday, or whether it was just within the context of the office. But anyway, he, he was talking about disappointments, and he said about people disappointing him. And, then I, and then, But he quickly went on to say, well, I've probably disappointed many people too, perhaps even without realizing it. And uh, sometimes we feel people let us down or circumstances have. Sometimes we can even feel disappointed with God, perhaps. It can be tempting to think, actually, that that when things are going well, we're experiencing God's favor. And when things are not going well, we're not experiencing God's favor. It's an interesting thought, that. But if you think of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus... When the angel Gabriel appeared to her, one of the things he said to her was this. He said, you are highly favored. Highly favored. It's very interesting, isn't it? You would think, well, if she's highly favored, then everything's going to go swimmingly for her. It's going to go well. But actually, before Jesus is even weaned, when they go to the temple, she's told another thing. A sword will pierce your own heart. Well, how can these two things be compatible? Well, they can be. Sometimes we can think that... That when things are going well, then God is, is certainly with us. When things are not going well, well, he's not. Well, that's not true. He's faithful. The psalmist tells us that. He's never going to leave you. And we see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, one example, for example, is King David. Where King David, a great king, a warrior king, kills Goliath, chosen by the Lord, anointed by the Lord, popular with the people. And then what does he do? He goes and commits adultery and as if that isn't bad enough, he then has Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. And yet God is faithful to him and says, I'm going to establish your throne forever. We see it in the New Testament as well with the Apostle Peter, how towards the end of Jesus' life, Jesus says, you know, you're all going to forsake me. You're all going to abandon me. Peter says, oh, this lot might. But as for me, I will never, I will never abandon you. I'm going to be faithful to you. And what do we hear? The next thing is, Jesus said, well, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And then a servant girl, someone of low status, comes up to Peter and says, surely you were were a Galilean. You were with that man, weren't you? And he brings down curses upon himself, it says. You know, I never knew the man. I, I had nothing to do with him. And yet, Jesus is faithful to him. Even to the extent that not only does Peter preach the first sermon of the New Testament Uh, of the Acts of the Apostles, I mean, but also he writes two books of the New Testament. God is faithful. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to me. And his faithfulness is not dependent on your circumstances. It's not dependent on whether you feel disappointed or not, or whether you feel a failure or not. God is faithful to you. He is faithful in all he does. Not only that, he's interested in us. Jesus demonstrates that. A couple of examples here, one of the occasions where this boy gets brought to Jesus. This boy is possessed by an evil spirit and is trying to kill him. And Jesus tenderly says this, he says, how long has he been like this? He's trying to find out. Another occasion is when Jesus sees the man who's been paralyzed for donkey's years. And it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. So Jesus was willing to find out. He was interested. More about that in a minute. Not only that, but we see that Jesus is emotionally involved. Much ink and many words have been spoken about the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And I've heard many erudite people, many clever people talk about it. But one of the things that strikes me whenever I read it is this. Jesus entered into their pain. To me, it's obvious. You know, the Bible says weep with those who weep. He comes there mourning at the tomb. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And he's angry against death. I get that. But at the same time, surely, he's entering into their pain. So God is faithful. And he's also loving. And the psalmist tells us that. Not only that, though, but God is powerful. In verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. It's amazing how much the psalmist says in, in a few short words. He can speak things into being. You know, you breathe. You're breathing now. You're breathing without the consciousness of it, I guess. Unless I mention it to you, and then you become conscious of the fact that you're breathing. But by the breath of his mouth, he made the starry host. Let me just show you a picture, if that's possible, to do that now. Okay, that... uh, I don't know how clear it is. Okay, in case you can't see very clearly. At the bottom... It's a a composite picture, by the way, okay? And so it's the city of Los Angeles with a big rock behind it. And the reason it's done like that is so you can see the size of the rock in proportion to the city. So it's the city of Los Angeles, and behind it is a rock. But it's not any old rock. It's Comet 67P, Churyumov-Geremisenko. Okay, let me explain a little bit about that for those of you who are not in the know. Basically, what happened was 10 years ago... Some guys sent a spacecraft to, into space to catch this comet as it flew through. It's not actually behind Los Angeles, by the way, okay? It's hurtling through space somewhere. And they sent this space probe out into space in order to... It's an, um, by the way, it's an amazing feat when you read about it. sent this spacecraft into space <clears throat> to land a probe <clears throat> on this comet which is hurtling through space at... Tens of thousands of miles an hour. And it was a remarkable achievement. And they landed the probe on this comet. But as I looked about, as I read about that, I thought, actually, that... Thank you for the picture, by the way. Actually, that's not even a grain of sand compared to the Sahara Desert. When you think about the starry host. You know, the power of God as the creator, we often lose sight of that. And in verse 7, the psalmist says again, He gathers the waters of the sea in a jar. Again, into jars. I love the poetry of that. You see, the sea in those days, and still today, I guess, was deemed an uncontrollable force. It was deemed as part of the chaos of nature, the sea. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars so God can absolutely control the forces of chaos And we see it later when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and the wind and the waves come, and there's a storm on the lake, and Jesus commands it to be still with a word. I wonder, I wonder if there are things in your life that you feel, I've got no control over that, and it's causing me pain, it's causing me anxiety, it's like a force of chaos in my life. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. The God that we sang about this morning, the God that we worship this morning, is the God who has absolute control over any of the forces of, or apparent forces of chaos that you may feel you're experiencing in your life. They're not beyond His control. There's more. The Lord, in verse 10, "...the Lord foils the plans of the nations." So not only is God the ruler of nature, but he's the ruler of human history. Nations rise and fall. And we've seen it in our lifetime. Some of you more than I have. So, for example, the Nazis decided that they were going to have a thousand-year Reich. Their empire was going to last for a thousand years. You know, it lasted about 12, I think. Maximum. Not even that. Barely 10. And then we saw the Soviet Union. And we've seen uh, seeking to become an atheistic state and spreading their empire in a vast area of the world. And in our lifetime, what have we seen? We've seen the walls come down. There's more to be seen, I guess. But the Lord foils the plans of the nations. But in verse 11, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Whose plans are you involved with? Whose side are you on? Whose allegiance have you given yourself to? No? The Lord thwarts the plans of the nations. And we heard recently in our Big Objection series that there are many worldviews out there. So there's a worldview of atheism. People look at the world through that lens, through the lens of there's no God, it's a purposeless existence, it started with a big bang. We came out of the primordial sludge, and when we die, that's it. That's a worldview. You know, and people give their allegiance to that worldview. But the purposes, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And I would encourage every single person here today, get your get your the right lenses on. The lenses of the gospel, the lenses of seeing things through Christ, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. So there's a call here as well, I think. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. I don't know about you but I'd prefer to be on the winning side. I don't particularly like being on the losing side. I want to be on the winning side, and I am on the winning side because I've given my allegiance to Jesus. The psalmist wants us to have a big picture of who the Lord is. A big picture. How big is your picture? Does it need to be a little bit bigger when you look at your life and you look at the issues that you're facing, the difficulties that there are in life, the obstacles that you're having to face right now, What's your picture of God like compared to those obstacles? Are the obstacles like this and the picture of God like that? Or is the picture of God like that and the obstacles like this? The psalmist is encouraging us here to have a big picture of who the Lord is. Having said that, of course, we can then tend to think, actually, I I can see what you're saying, Ron. Yeah, I agree. The cosmos is amazing, and and God's faithfulness, and His power, and His ability to control the the chaotic forces of nature, the fact He's the ruler of the nations. Yeah, yeah, I get all that, but we can tend to then think that God is somehow remote from all that. He's sitting in some throne somewhere, way out beyond the existing galaxies, and... No, no, but the psalmist tells us here that God is involved. Look at verse 13 to 15 here. We'll go through it quickly. From heaven, the psalmist says, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. It's very interesting, again, when uh, the prophet Ezekiel and the apostle John have these amazing, spectacular visions of the Lord... One of the things that they have in common is they see things with many eyes on them. In Ezekiel's case, it's a wheels covered in eyes. And John sees a fantastic creature covered in eyes. What's that all about? It's about the fact that God sees. He sees. In fact, in the Psalms, it also says, Does he who made the eye not see? From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. That's good news. But listen, he goes further. In verse 14, he says this. He watches all who live on earth. He watches all who live on earth. You parents parents among you here, not, not just necessarily parents, but others of you. If you go to uh, a school assembly or a, a sports day or something like that, and you're a child... Or even if you're just coming to little stars here on a Tuesday and a Friday morning with your child. Now, who are you looking out for? Who are you looking? Who are you watching? You're watching your child, aren't you? You're looking out for them. And God watches here. He watches all who live on earth. He's interested. Not only does he see, but he watches. Now, one of the things that I'm doing in my life is I'm learning a foreign language. And I have learned... That there's a difference between see and watch. You know, in Nepali, to see is deknu. To watch is hernu. And they mean different things. Similar but different. If you see something, or if you watch something. Get get what I'm saying here? If you watch something, you're looking intently, aren't you? But the psalmist goes further here. He says this, He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. He considers. I wonder if there are things that you have considered in your life. You know, you've given it quite a lot of thought. I was thinking about this in my case. I've had longer to think about it than you. And I was thinking about when we bought the house that we're in now. So it was our second house that we lived in after we got married. And I thought, well, we considered that a lot. We considered, did it have the accommodation we wanted? Was there a garden? What was the location like? Accessibility for the schools? We considered it. Not only, I considered it a lot, because I don't make decisions like that quite often, especially if it involves spending money. I don't make them lightly. It takes me a long time. And uh, so buying a house is a colossal, colossal thing. So I used to go down the road to the house that we were thinking of buying, and I used to go at different times of the day. I just wanted to see what the environment was like. Is it quiet? Because we had noisy neighbors, you see, before that kept us awake at 2 and 3 in the morning. That's another story. And, uh, but there you go. Consider, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. So maybe we get tempted to think God's not that interested. Yes, I appreciate His power, etc., and His glory, and He's high and lifted up, and His glory fills the temple, and all that kind of stuff. But actually, God is interested in you. We heard that this morning from the prophetic word. God's love. He cares about you. He's faithful. He's loving. He's powerful. And He's involved, and we see it in Christ's life. And then the psalmist goes on in verse 18. He says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. See, God places great value on our placing our hope in him. He says in verse 22, May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I've been thinking about this subject for some time towards last year, last six months of last year. I was thinking about hope. It's a terrible thing to lose hope. If you lose hope, then I would suspect depression is knocking on your door. We can lose hope through our disappointments. You know, if people disappoint us, or we disappoint ourselves, or circumstances disappoint us, I didn't get what I want, I didn't get that job I wanted, or you know, I've been praying about this, and I haven't seen the answer. And we can so easily get disappointed. I have to say this, though, I was thinking about that again this morning, even as I was driving down here, that I have seen, in this place, people's disappointments turned around by the Lord. Has everything been sorted? Not necessarily. Has all the pain been wiped away? Not necessarily, but I've seen enough to know that God has turned many people's disappointments around in this place. So, God wants us to have hope. It says about Abraham, he hoped against hope. It's interesting, isn't it? He hoped against hope. In other words, when all the odds were stacked against him, he still hoped. Why? Why? Why did he still hope? He still hoped because he knew something of what God was like. He knew that God would be faithful to his word. And God is still the same God that Abraham worshipped when he looked up at that starry sky. So maybe you have had disappointments in your life. Or you're still facing them today. But God does not want us to lose hope hope. He wants us to place our hope in him. Have you lost hope? Are there things in your life where you have been disappointed? Having said all that as well, I must admit, I've sought to be incredibly real with the Lord. It's taken me a long time. Isn't that strange? I've been a Christian for 40 years. You think I'd have done it by now. Um, but to be completely honest with the Lord about what I feel and think. And I've asked the question, and I've shared this before once, are you really interested in me? I know you love me. I know you died on the cross. <clears throat> I hear it regularly on a Sunday. But what about me in my small corner? Do I really matter? Are any of the things that I desire, the hopes and dreams of my heart, are they of any significance to you? Or am I just some kind of uh, Christian robot who's got to turn up and do this stuff? (laughs) And then you'll you'll be pleased with me. (laughs) Well, I think I've come to the conclusion that the Lord is interested. In fact, as you you love the Lord, as you worship the Lord, as you seek to uh, live out the Christian life, it's not done in isolation, is it? It's done in communion with the Lord. It's done in tandem with the Spirit. It's done together with the Spirit of God. And, you know, we are new creations if we've given our hearts to Jesus. We're a new creation. And God is intimately and ultimately involved in our life. And if we're a new creation and we've given ourselves to Christ, then Christ is affecting and influencing the thoughts and dreams and desires in our hearts. It's a strange thing that. And I don't get get the whole of it. But why am I doing the things I'm doing today? For example, in Micah, why am I interested in Nepal? I was thinking about this the other day. Where did that come from? Why do I have a passion for that? Why am I wanting to learn a language? It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. You Surely you could be doing better things than that. You could go and have coffee and Nero instead. Come on. Well, I suspect that God's been involved somewhere along the line. I think it's, it's an amazing thing. I believe that God will plant things in our heart. Why? Because he wants to fulfill them, not to frustrate them. He plants desires in our hearts. we walk with him. He touches us because he loves us. You, though being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. God said, Jesus said, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So I'm not just a Christian robot who has got to turn up. I'm a son of the king. You're a son and you're a daughter of the king. And you walk with him. And you walk hand in hand. And he loves you. And his hands are firm. His hands are strong. His hands are powerful. His hands are nail pierced. His hands are faithful. He's never going to let you go. Hello? It's not in his nature. It's not in his thinking. It doesn't enter his head to let you go. Not only that. But he says this, no one, no one can take you out of my father's hands. Wow, so amazing is he. So he wants us and I want to. And I'm trying to place my hope in him. Have I had any disappointments in life? One or two. Have I been disappointed with others? Occasionally. Have I been disappointed with myself frequently? Nevertheless, I want to place my hope in the Lord. Have I, seen, have I seen everything that I would like to see? No. Have I seen all my dreams and desires fulfilled? No. Have I seen all my prayers answered? No. Have I seen... Uh, Some of my presence, yes. Some of my dreams fulfilled, yes. Some of my desires fulfilled, yes. But everything, no. Are there things that I'm still upholding before the Lord? Yes. Are there things that matter to me? Yes. Are there deep things that I'm not going to share with many people? Yes. But they're important to me. And I believe that God is interested in our hopes. So I want to place my hope in Jesus. It doesn't mean I will get everything I want. We know that. But I still want to place my hopes in him. So I have got personal hopes. Do you? Or have you given up? What are your personal hopes? But not only do I have personal hopes, I have what I would call cosmic hopes that go beyond me. And I love what the Apostle Paul writes when he says this For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So there's frustration in the creation. And there's frustration as well in us as human beings. God has subjected the creation, and we're part of that, to frustration. So they'll always be like this morning when I couldn't get the car started. It was frustrating. Or when I'm up in my office and I'm putting the computer on and it just won't do what it's told. Or I send something to the printer and it just doesn't respond. It's responding to everybody else for some reason. But when I send something to print, it just sits there. So I go back into my office and I say, okay, have I done it all right? Print. Then it prints out two copies. I know these are minor things, but the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, but listen, in hope, subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. So there's a bigger hope than simply my personal hopes. There's a bigger hope, and it's this, that the creation will one day be liberated from its Bondage to decay. All that frustration that we feel, sometimes it's pent up, will be released. It will be gone. And all the, you know, we had some talks on suffering recently. I mean, we, that big objection series was really great. I loved it. And talking about suffering, and and sometimes I sat there and I thought that's really good, but I've still got loads of questions. Still got loads of questions. Um, but nevertheless. One day, Jesus will come back. This is not to say, of course, that we just sit back and do nothing. But one day, Jesus is going to come back and every single injustice that has existed in the world will be righted by him in the twinkling of an eye. All the evil that has apparently flourished and got away with on planet earth will all be dealt with and justice will be seen to be done. How is he going to do it? I don't know, but I do know this. He will do it. When he appears, he will right every single wrong, whether it's a personal wrong, whether it's a national wrong, whether it's an international wrong, whether it's the deepest, darkest passage of human history that we cannot fathom. Jesus, when he returns, he will set it all right because he's the God of justice. And every mouth will be shut before him. There'll be no skeptics at that point. We'll be looking on in awe and wonder and the the glory of who He is. So we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. Gone through the curtain and touching the very throne of God itself. And that one day all the disharmony that there is in creation. All the brokenness that there is in creation. When Jesus returns, He will set it all right. And there will be a wholeness that He will bring. That will be wonderful, will be glorious, will be beyond imagining. So we can have personal hopes, and we need to have them, I think. It's part of what it means to be human, to have hopes. Don't lose hope. Have you lost hope? Don't lose it. And we need that cosmic hope as well, that one day Jesus will set it all right. I don't know how, but I do know he will, because he's absolutely, utterly trustworthy. Amen? Amen.